Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. I spent two summers while I was in college working at a church camp in Colorado, and that summer was 12 weeks of work, and the first two weeks of every summer was spent on training, on getting ready for the next 10 weeks that would follow, be filled with, with camps and kids and, and all sorts of things. And of course, you can't possibly prepare for every scenario that can happen in a summer in just two weeks of training. And so at some point along the way, we were given some advice by my boss, and that advice was, fake it till you make it. If you don't understand something, if you don't have all the answers, just do the best you can for as long as you can. Eventually, you will probably figure it out along the way. And as I look back on that, that's not really a saying that, should ins- that you should share that often publicly in that scenario. It's not a saying that instills confidence, I imagine, in a parent entrusting their kids to a group of college students in the mountains of Colorado for a week. Uh, but it's one that works well enough. And I'd like to say I only needed that strategy for those two summers, but it seems that the older I get, one of the secrets of adulthood is that uh, the adults don't tend to have everything as figured out as you assumed all the adults did when you were a kid. It seems like a lot of times we can be faking it, hoping one day we'll make it. Maybe you've been in a class or a meeting and something's being discussed, and it sure seems like as you look around the room that everyone else knows and understands what is happening, but you are completely lost, and so you just nod along and and hope you kind of figure it out as you go. As the saying goes, it's better to remain silent and appear a fool than open your mouth and remove all doubt. So you might as well fake it until you make it. We have a lot of great people in this church who work hard week in and week out to keep track of our finances, and I am grateful for all the work they do for two reasons. First off, because they're good at what they do, and second off, because they're good at what they do, that means I don't have to think about it, because we would all be in trouble if I did. And they will explain things to me because they are gracious and helpful, and it seems like a thing that I should be able to figure out, but there comes a point always where it just seems to fly over my head and I just have to nod along. Maybe you've been listening to an expert in some field and they are explaining their expertise in great detail and it's interesting and you're enjoying it, but you just can't really piece it all together, connect all the dots of what they're saying. And you would ask a question if you could to help them, to ask them to clarify what they're saying. It's just you don't even know what question to ask to try to make sense of what they're saying. And so you just kind of go along and hope they'll repeat themselves at a later point. Isaac has taken me fishing with him a few times over the past few years, and as we are out on the water, he could, if he wanted to, walk me through all the things and say, you know, here's what I'm seeing on the depth finder, here's locations where I know I've caught fish before, here's what I'm seeing in the conditions, and here are all the things that make me think that this is where fish are going to be, and here's why I think they're going to be here, and here's what we should use to try to catch them, but really, once he tells me, here's what you need to put on the hook, and here's where you need to cast, I've taken in as much information as I can handle at that point, and I still don't catch much, but you know, it, it helps. At some point along the way, it's just a matter of having to fake it, hoping that I make it. And it seems that it can also be the case in church where we can at times fake it, hoping to one day make it. 
I mean, we can be honest, the Bible was written a long time ago on the other side of the world in a different language and a different culture from our own, and so that means that there will come times where we will read scripture and come across concepts and thoughts that just don't show up anywhere else in life. Maybe you're new to church and week in and week out, you hear scripture read, you hear it taught, you hear songs and you think, that, I know that's English, it just, it sounds like a different language because I don't hear those words anywhere else in life. Maybe you've been around church for a while, and, and you think, as you hear some words, you think, I, I'm pretty sure I know what that means. I just, I really hope no one ever asks me to explain it to them, because then I'm going to be in trouble. Maybe sometimes we're trying to fake it until we make it. And if you find yourself in that boat, my hope is that this series we are beginning today can help you get your arms around some of the words that that we throw around in church at times, but don't always do a great job of defining. The series we're starting today, as you can see on the screen, is called Salvation Spaces. And the heart of this series, to make it very simple, is to do one thing in two ways each week. The one thing we want to do each week is to try to explain a concept, a word that is related to the life we have in Christ, a word that is connected to our salvation that we have in Jesus. And the two ways that we want to do that every week is to do it with one, first off, a passage from the book of Romans, and second off, with an image. We will start with scripture, but the hope is that by connecting scripture with an image, it can help us come to a deeper appreciation of what these terms mean, what they are calling us to as they describe the life we have in Christ, so that each and every one of us can participate more deeply in life with God. So as we do that, like I said, we're going to be using a variety of passages from the book of Romans. So as we go along, if you find yourself wanting to look at Romans itself in more depth, you could make it, put it on your calendar. We're going to be walking through Romans on Wednesday nights in our adult class that meets down in the conference room during our Wednesday night programming. If you find yourself uh, not getting enough of Romans on Sunday mornings, you can take that in as well, or if that's not an option for you for some reason or another, maybe, maybe you just want to commit to reading through Romans in some way over these next few weeks. I know it's New Year's Day, I'm sure many of us have grand plans right now that you know, you're going to read through the Bible in a year or something like that this year, and I'm not telling you to scrap those plans or anything like that, those are good and helpful, but maybe it might be worth soaking in Romans for a few weeks if you don't have a plan or anything like that. Maybe it can be a New Year's resolution to just to spend the next two months uh, marinating in the book of Romans. If you've never read through a book of the Bible before, you can make it easy on yourself. I'll do the math for you. We're going to be doing this series for eight weeks. There's 16 chapters to the book of Romans, so two chapters a week, and you could get through it during that span if you've never done that before. Maybe you want to commit to reading through Romans uh, with friends or family or someone uh, and discussing what you find there together. Maybe you want to commit to reading through Romans once a week over these next few weeks. Whatever you do, if nothing else, on Sunday mornings, uh, our hope is that this will be a time where we can connect with God, connect to God and his word, and that as a church we can drink deeply from this book as we enter into this new year. So we're going to begin that journey today at the beginning of this letter, where Paul introduces himself and the reason why he is writing. And the one word we want to unpack as we look at that passage, at this passage today, is the word gospel. 
If you had to boil it down to one term, that is what Paul is unpacking throughout the course of the book of Romans. And so we want to get this word right so that we can get rid, get the rest of the book right as well. And so lucky for us, as we open up this letter, Paul unpacks for us what the gospel is. And so we're going to stop, start there in the first six verses or so of this letter and then jump down into the middle of, of the rest of, the, jump down into Romans chapter 1 uh, as Paul unpacks this a little more and works out the implications of what the gospel means for us. So I'm going to read for us Romans 1, verses 1 to 6. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. My guess is you have a default set of things that you talk about when someone asks you to introduce yourself. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you talk about your spouse or your job or your kids, where you grew up, uh, where you live now, what your interests are, your hobbies, things like that. I don't know, but... But Paul does something similar here. He's writing this letter of Romans from the city of Corinth. As he is traveling throughout the Roman Empire, preaching the message of Jesus, starting new churches. But as he has been doing that for years at this point, he has not yet been to the city of Rome. And his desire is that he would one day be there. And so he writes to the churches there to introduce himself to a lot of people that he has never met in person. And as he begins to introduce himself, you notice he can't get very far before he starts talking about Jesus. The first thing he says is that he is a servant. Or if you're reading from a different translation, it might say a slave of Christ Jesus. He continues and explains what that means by saying he has been called to be an apostle That God has called Paul to be a messenger that announces who Jesus is. To announce that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the King of God's people that was promised to come. And that Paul has been set apart for the sake of the gospel of God. The gospel. I'll try to give a rough definition of how that word was used in Paul's day. And then we'll work out the contents of that gospel in the rest of this passage. That word gospel simply means good news. In Paul's day, it was used to describe royal announcements, such as a a messenger coming back from the front lines of battle to report that the army had been victorious. It was used to describe uh, causes of celebration, such as uh, the, the king having his birthday or a new king taking his throne. It would be considered good news. There are all sorts of things in Paul's day, that the word gospel might be used to describe, just like how there are all sorts of things in our day that we might refer to as good news. But Paul makes it clear that he's not presenting another gospel alongside all the others of his day. He is presenting the gospel of God, announcing a message directly from the one true God who created all people and all things. 
So if this gospel is the center of Paul's ministry, he now needs to unpack what this gospel is made up of. And the first thing he says about the gospel there in verse 2 is that it was promised beforehand through the prophets, or what we would call the Old Testament. That is where the message of Jesus begins, and I think that's important to highlight. We could be honest and say that sometimes the Old Testament is difficult to read. Sometimes there are portions that are not G-rated or portions that are confusing. And it might make us wonder, if it would just be easier to pretend that the Old Testament's not there, all we need to worry about is G. Maybe we just need to run there. And I understand that line of thinking, and I want to be sensitive if you want to read the Bible, but you have a hard time with some of those passages. But the New Testament does not seem to give us the option of just focusing on the New Testament and ignoring the Old. The very first thing Paul says about the message of Jesus here is that it was promised beforehand by the Old Testament. We cannot fully understand the message of Jesus if we do not understand the foundation of the Old Testament that it is built upon. Our Bible, Old and New Testaments together, is one unified story that reaches its culmination in the gospel, in the story of Jesus. If we're going to try to proclaim the message of Jesus apart from the Old Testament, we are trying to saw off the branch that we are sitting on, or we're trying to smell the meal without ever intending to eat it. We need the Old Testament that promises beforehand the message of Jesus. If we are going to fully appreciate and understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And I fully understand that that is much easier for me to stand up here than it is for us to do, but it should be our goal as we try to come to terms with with this gospel. Because this gospel was promised beforehand in the Old Testament, but Paul continues and says it culminates in Jesus. Paul says there in verse 3 that Jesus was descended from the line of David. He was the king of Israel. David was the king of Israel who was a man after God's own heart. And God had promised to David that one of his descendants would, would come and would reign on his throne forever. But Paul says here there is so much more to the story than that. Jesus was not just a man who came from the right bloodline, who rode the coattails of his ancestor David. He was the son of God. As we just celebrated at Christmas, Jesus was fully God and took on flesh, became human for our sake. He was born to Joseph and Mary, and yet he was also God who came to this earth to serve, to give up his life for us. Those might seem like big claims to make. They might seem like claims that can be difficult to prove. I mean, if someone came to you and said that they were the son of God who was supposed to reign over the entire universe forever, you might have some questions for them. You might wonder what proof they might have. Otherwise, you are going to think they might need to be committed. But Paul continues and says that we can know these things are true about Jesus because he was resurrected from the dead and the gospel is vindicated by Jesus' resurrection. Someone can make all the claims they want, but sooner or later, those claims have to be backed up. And Jesus is able to back up the claims he makes about himself as being the Son of God, who is eternal, who will one day rule and judge the entire universe because he was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. If you've ever wondered, like, why should I listen to Jesus? Why should I take Jesus seriously? The gospel says Jesus should be taken seriously because he was raised from the dead. 
If someone tells you that they are going to die, and then three days later they are going to rise from the dead, and then they die, and three days later rise from the dead, we should probably listen to what they have to say. We can believe that Jesus is who he claims to be because he was vindicated at his resurrection, because he has conquered death itself. But the fact that he is raised from the dead does not just vindicate what he already said and done. It is a statement about who he is now. Paul says that because Jesus was raised from the dead, Jesus is now for all time, without a doubt, the holder of the titles of Son of God and Lord. We do not just take Jesus seriously because of what he did, but because of who he is. At his resurrection, he assumes the role, the titles of Son of God and Lord of all. Jesus is presently ruling over all creation. That is the position and authority he has held for all time, but it was made clear beyond a shadow of a doubt at the resurrection and his ascension into heaven. The resurrection of Jesus is the moment around which all of world history turns. If Jesus simply died, then that means he is just one religious figure among many who came and said some interesting things that you might want to listen to, but ultimately it's up to you to take or leave. But if he rose from the dead, then Jesus is the king of the universe. And he should be listened to as the final authority on every realm of life. And that's the story of the gospel. Jesus is the king, and he takes his throne at his resurrection. But the story does not just end by telling us about who Jesus is. In verse 5, Paul makes a shift from what the story of the gospel is to how it impacts us by saying that the story of the gospel means that God has extended grace, his unmerited favor, which gets fleshed out more in the next passage we're going to look at here in a moment. But it has also brought apostleship being sent with a message to announce it to those who have not yet heard it. Because of the gospel, Paul has the role that he has as he writes this letter, devoting his life to announcing the story of Jesus as the resurrected Son of God. And that invitation is for all people who say yes to following Jesus, no matter who they are, where they're from, or what they've done. The story of the gospel is the true story of Jesus taking the throne to rule over all things. It is the good news of God coming to make all things new. And This is the story that is our foundation of our life as God's people. Just like how there are all sorts of gospels in Paul's day, there are all sorts of stories that announced good news that were supposed to give meaning to life. If you look around, we have all sorts of stories around us, stories that try to form us, stories that try to announce good news to us that will in some way give us meaning. Our world will tell us stories that are gospels of achievement, that if you were to accomplish enough or earn enough or get the right politicians in office, if you were to achieve something, you will have a life that is meaningful. And all those gospels will eventually fail. They tell us that if we do something, we will have meaning. The gospel tells us what Jesus has already done. It invites us to receive what he has already done for us. And allowing that to form us into people who participate in that story ourselves. Paul writes this letter as someone who has been formed by 
the gospel. This announcement that Jesus is king, which has led to him fulfilling his role as an apostle to proclaim this story. He writes this letter because his desire, as we already said, is to do that in Rome where he has never been. And he wants his readers to participate in that story as well because that is the implication of the gospel. Not just that we would hear that Jesus is on his throne, but that we would participate in his royal family. Paul lines all that out in what is essentially his thesis statement of Romans. In Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, which I think the screens are working. There we go. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This message of the gospel that Jesus is king of every realm of life is a pretty big claim to make, and yet it is also a claim that in Paul's day could be seen as embarrassing. I mean, the Old Testament made it clear that anyone who was hung on a tree was cursed by God. And so the Jewish people of Paul's day took that to mean that anyone who died by crucifixion, anyone who died on a cross, was clearly under God's curse. And so within that line of thinking, it is strange to think that in some way that reveals the righteousness, the power of God. Anyone who died on a cross in Paul's day would be seen as a failure, and so to go around the Roman Empire, to devote decades of your life, to travel throughout the world and proclaim this message that the person you follow died on a cross and somehow that is a good thing, is a message that plenty of people listening to Paul would consider to be shameful. You can maybe imagine if someone hears Paul walk through the story of the gospel and they get to talking about Jesus dying on a cross, saying to Paul, Paul, what are you thinking? Like, don't you know what dying on a cross means? Aren't you embarrassed by that? Shouldn't you be ashamed for thinking that that is good news? I mean, if Jesus is everything you said he is, Paul, why did he die? Couldn't he have stopped something like that from happening? How could you seriously think that someone that died in the most humiliating way imaginable is somehow now the ruler of the universe? Shouldn't you be ashamed of the gospel? And Paul's response is absolutely not. He is not ashamed of this story of Jesus dying and rising from the dead, as the Old Testament said it would happen, and now reigning over the entire universe, inviting all people to come and be a part of it. How could that be? How could Paul not be ashamed of the gospel? Because, he says, when you understand this story of the gospel, when you participate in it, you see that it reveals the power of God because it, it brings salvation from sin and death to everyone who believes in it, no matter their ethnicity, their background, their social status, their tax bracket, or anything else. How is that possible? Paul continues and says it's because this story of the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Now this is a complicated few verses here if we're being honest. So I don't want to claim I have everything figured out, but I do want to say what I think is the best way to read these verses and more importantly flesh out what this passage calls us to. I think the main point we are to get from this, these two verses, is that the gospel reveals God's power. 
This comes through Jesus bringing salvation from sin and death for anyone who puts their faith, their trust, their allegiance in him. As Jesus, the Son of God, dies on the cross in our place and rises from the dead, it reveals the righteousness, the right doing of God to his people. This righteousness. God's attribute of always doing right, always keeping his promises, always being fair and just, always doing what he says he will do, it is perfectly summed up in Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. As Jesus comes to make all things new and takes his rightful place on his throne over all things. And this is in accordance with God's faithfulness to his people. Because God has done all this, because he has been faithful to the promises he has made, we are called to respond by putting our faith, our trust in God. The gospel is not just something that God does for us, but something we participate in as we trust in what Jesus has done for us. This is how God has always worked. And Paul drives that home in verse 17 by quoting from the book of Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk said that that the righteous, those who understand who God is and those who remain faithful to him would live by faith, would live by putting their trust in God first and foremost, by pledging their allegiance to God and God alone. And Paul quotes that passage here to remind us that what he is saying in the story of the gospel is how God has always worked and how he continues to work in Jesus. The story of the gospel reveals that Jesus is who he claimed to be and proves God to be right in all his ways and invites us in to be a part of the story. The story of a king who became a servant so that we could be part of his royal family. The king of the universe was born to Joseph and Mary. He lived, he died, and rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God in heaven as king of the universe, as the culmination of God's plan to make all things new and faithfulness to his people. And he invites us to come and be a part of that restoration. And we need that entire story. The story of this king becoming a servant so that we can be invited into the royal family if we want to experience all God desires for his people. So often the gospel gets boiled down to Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And that is absolutely essential. That is a key part of the gospel, but that is not the entire story of the gospel. The gospel is the story that encapsulates all of history, every part of every one of us, as we participate in life with God as he makes all things new. The king of the universe became a servant, left his throne, so that we could join his family. So that means that the gospel expects more of us than simply agreeing with it. If all the gospel means is Jesus died on the cross for my sins, then all that is expected of us is to agree with that fact and move on. Sure, I believe Jesus did that thing a long time ago on the cross, but it doesn't change anything about my present. And The gospel is not a set of truths that we are asked to agree with. It is a story that forms every part of who we are. And we are invited to experience that story. We are invited to tell that story. We are invited to live that story out alongside others who are living out the same story. 
I don't know what your experience has been with this story up to this point, but I hope as we enter into this new year, you would experience it in a new and deeper way and allow it to be the foundation of every part of life. So to try to help with that, we have a resource we just made available this week that can help us hopefully all take stock of where we are in our walk with God and what next steps might look like. If you're to get onto our website or stop by the Welcome Center before you leave today, you'll find we have a resource we put together that we're calling the Marion Road. And I'm not claiming that this thing has solved following Jesus for you for all time or anything like that, but what it is is an attempt to try to summarize different seasons of life as you follow Jesus and things that might be true of you within that season of life and to help you process through where you might be with God, where you are right now. And then with that to provide some thoughts as to how you might move forward. So there are some recommendations of spiritual disciplines you might want to try, uh, practices, habits you might want to try, forming resources you might want to look into that can help you uh, take a next step in your walk with God. Because our goal as a church, as a community, as a family, is to walk together as we experience the story of of the gospel. And our hope is that this resource would be a way for us to do that. If you need to walk alongside someone as you experience this story, if you need prayer, if you have questions about what it means to experience the gospel in your own life, find us out at the Welcome Center after church before you leave today so we can continue this conversation of what it looks like to be formed, to participate, to experience in the story of the gospel. As we close, let's watch this short video. Imagine you stand before a throne. It is beautifully crafted and ornate. It is proud and wonderful because it speaks about the majesty of the one who sits upon it. It speaks of the wide expansion and goodness of his rule and dominion. It is fit only for a king, but it is empty. Where is the king? All of a sudden, you see the robes, the crown, the scepter scattered before his footstool. You turn around to see him standing, but he looks dirty, clothed in rags and common, a beauty hidden beneath, a secret righteousness on the verge of escape. But he walks out among his people, a people in revolt and rebellion. The great lie has seized them, but not for long. He will enter the battle. He will make the sacrifice. He will mend their hearts. He will not sit at a distance. The moment comes of the great reveal. The king is robed, crowned, hailed, but not with beauty, not with gold, not with praise, but scorn, pain, sin. He has exchanged his throne for a cross, his home for a tomb, his life for a rebel. What sort of king is this? But three days came and so did he. Up from that grave he had victory. He silenced sin and death. He proved his power true. He took his place upon his throne and offered us a room. This is the good news. Jesus is the king. 
He leads us and we follow him from our tombs to his home. We walk with him into glory and kneel at his throne. He is our rescuer, our redeemer, our substitute. And we are not ashamed of this gospel for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this story of the gospel that encapsulates every part of history, every part of us, and calls us to be made new as a part of your people. God, we all come into this room with different um, burdens that we are carrying, different experiences from our past, different uh, obstacles that we look forward to in the future. And yet we know that for all of us, you invite us to come and experience the story of the gospel. So we ask for your wisdom, for your presence, your guidance with us, as we experience the gospel where we are right now. I pray that the, the truths of who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus would be impressed on one of us, that we would take stock of who you are and what you've done in our lives and how you are calling us forward, how you are calling us into a deeper relationship with you. Father, we ask that this year would be one marked off one where we as individuals and as a community experience your gospel in a new and deeper way. Be with us as we walk with you wherever you lead. We ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.